Success Leaves Clues. Welcome to the Health Business Growth Show, where we take you behind the scenes of the top health businesses to learn how they built their success. I'm your host, JJ Virgin, founder of the Mindshare Collaborative, along with members of our Mindshare Mentor Team. Each week, we are joined by some of the most brilliant, innovative health business experts you're going to ever meet. These folks have built empires from scratch, navigated the choppy waters of entrepreneurship, and will be sharing both their struggles and their successes on the journey of creating a thriving health business. So if you're ready to take your business to the next level by learning from the best, you are in the right place. So let's get this party started. We are so glad you are here. This is going to be quite an episode here at the Health Business Growth Show. You are going to want to get out notepad. You're going to want to buckle up because I have my buddy, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon on. She is the New York Times bestselling author. It gives me so much joy to say that of the book Forever Strong. And she is going to unpack what has gone on over the last six years where she went from basically broke working to pay the rent at her office in New York to now having a top podcast in health and fitness, a top podcast in medicine, a huge IG following, a New York Times bestselling book. She is the go-to doc selling massive packages in muscle-centric medicine. She is launching muscle-centric medicine training for practitioners. And we're just going to kind of pull back the kimono and go through how she has created this and, you know, what she has done to do this. And, you know, hint, hint, she's put the work in and boy, has it paid off. Let me tell you a little bit more about her. She's a board certified family physician. Her book, again, Forever Strong, a new science-based strategy for aging well. It was not just New York Times, Amazon, Wall Street Journal, USA Today bestselling author. She is really creating movement here with muscle-centric medicine. She has created that phrase that you've seen everywhere now that muscle is the organ of longevity. Her mission is to promote longevity and combat the pervasive threats of obesity, heart disease, and diabetes by optimizing muscle health. When you hear about her background, which is just a beautiful synergy that has led her to become who she is now, where she has studied nutritional science. She had a dual research and clinical fellowship in geriatrics and nutritional sciences at WashU, which complemented her undergrad training in nutritional sciences at University of Illinois. Her godmother, I always forget this, is Liz Lipsky. So like she was in functional medicine before functional medicine was even a thing. She's an authority in the practical application of protein types and levels for health performance, aging and disease prevention, and a highly sought after educator. She works with Navy SEALs and Rangers and Green Berets seek her out. She's got a thriving private practice. She's got an influential YouTube channel, a, an amazing podcast, the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show. I am super excited to share this interview with you. It is just full of pearls, full of things that you can use in your business. And we will have all the show notes available for you as well, which will link to her podcast, her book, and how to get in touch with her. So enjoy this amazing episode with my buddy, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, I'm super excited to unpack your wild ride of success. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Wild is correct. And also ride 
is also correct. Well, because while you're having this wild ride of business success, you also had the wild ride of personal success, which we'll unpack too. So, you know, I just already described what Dr. Gabrielle Lyon has achieved over the last couple of years. And she did that with two babies. So just to add to the craziness, I would love to unpack all this because when I met you, which I was trying to figure out when that was, was that 2017? You know what? It probably was around 2017. I was trying to do the math. That sounds about right. Mm -hmm. Cool. I remember meeting you and I met you first in San Diego. That's right. Emily Fletcher connected us up. And so we went to dinner in San Diego. I don't think I ever told you the story that I actually ate my tooth that night. I don't think I told you the story. Because we were out at that place had gluten-free pizza and I'm chewing on the crust. I thought, God, this is crunchy. Well, it wasn't. My veneer had fallen off and I chewed it. And I didn't want to say anything because I was like, well, that would be weird at dinner to say, hey, I just ate my tooth. So we went to dinner there, then connected back up in New York. And I remember at the time, like, you were in a very different position. So I'd love you just to kind of start with where you were back then. I'm going to tell this story, but I want to know if this is a common story, right? Is this something common? So when I met you, I was married to someone who I actually really like as a person now. We're very good friends. And I had a brick and mortar practice on Fifth Avenue that was a massive undertaking. I was working for free. I was going out and hustling to bring patients into the practice. The rent alone just to keep the lights on was $40,000 a month. Just to exist, that's not salary, that's not anything else, that's not the IVs that we were running, nothing. Just purely the rent of the space. Gosh, it must have had six or seven treatment rooms on Park Avenue across from Central Park. Prime real estate. Working for free, not taking a salary, being paid by the hour. And Mm. back end of the practice was actually making money on testing, which ended up being completely phased out. So that's where I started. No Instagram, no newsletter, nothing on social media, absolutely nothing other than hustling. You are truly a best kept secret. Yeah, but I will say... An interesting part about this, and you may or may not agree with this, because again, you have mentored me and come in and and kind of talked me through a lot of this. I was actually working for free in the way that I wasn't taking a salary. And, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs or individuals in Mindshare would be having this experience as well. But the other part about it was that the way in which we were charging was not appropriate and not only was I not taking a salary, I was giving away a lot of my time to build up a reputation. I will say I I do agree with that. And I still agree with that. And maybe looking back, could I have vetted people better? Could I have done it less? Perhaps. But I did give away a lot of my time. So basically what you were doing when I met you was an internship. Yeah. So you were just doing an internship. But you were also, you had a couple things that when I heard them, I'm like, okay, these are, I always look for what is that special uniqueness about the person? And you had two things. You had this training and background that was insane. And you had muscle-centric medicine and you were working with high performers in the military. Yeah. So one of the things was the clinic that I had, the individuals that we were charging, 
it was a, a premium price point, but the work that I was doing, and I started working with special operations. And when I say special operations community, it's, again, they had to have been elite warfighters, Navy SEALs, Rangers, Green Berets, and they were being subsidized by the clientele. And or at this time, I don't think I was working with SEAL Future Foundation, but I was working with some of the Task Force Dagger and some of the organizations to provide essentially comprehensive care to operators. And that is certainly a unique population, takes a, yeah. a very unique level of understanding. Yes. So you had two enormous things that most people wouldn't have. Now, I say that, and if you're listening going, oh my gosh, you know, I could never be like this because I don't have those things. We all have something that makes us unique and different. These just happen to be like so super cool. And the fact that you had worked with Donald Lehman, you'd really, really dove deep into the nutrition side of things too, which is so unusual for a doctor. <laughs> yeah. and, right? and to be fair, to be fair, I certainly had a leg up because before functional medicine was a thing, there were a handful of people, Jeffrey Bland, Liz Lipsky. There was a time, believe it or not, when functional medicine was not functional medicine. Then a group of people got together, named it functional medicine, started creating protocols. And my godmother was one of those people. And her name was Liz Lipsky. So I started my journey. I graduated high school at 17, moved in with her, worked for room and board, began to be exposed to what is now functional medicine and nutritional sciences kept up with that, then went and did an undergraduate in nutritional sciences. I happened to be mentored by one of the world-leading protein experts, just happens to have made massive discoveries, 20 years later, still mentors me. And that was uniquely positioned, then did two years of residency in psychiatry, three in family medicine, then went back and did a fellowship at Washington University in nutritional sciences, geriatrics, and obesity medicine in another outstanding lab. And then finally, <laughs> after 17 years of schooling, I got to my internship of working for free. And, you know, you look at these paths and they kind of look like this, like you're kind of meandering down, I'm going right and left. But the reality is when you look at it, it's all perfect. When then you kind of look at where you are now, you go, that all worked together perfectly. Right. At the time, it might have been like, OK, now I'm going to go back over here, now over here, and I'm going to work with these Navy SEALs. But it was all a perfect lineup for where you are now. And when I met you, I'd never heard of this concept of muscle-centric medicine, and I'd love you to share what it is. I'm in love with it. I'm so glad you're pushing it out there. When I was doing my fellowship, the fellowship that I did was a combined fellowship. And the deal was, so in order to do advanced training, you have to get funding. And the way for me to do a nutritional science fellowship, I had to be able to pay for my position. The way in which I was going to pay for my position was to go into geriatrics. I didn't want to do it. It was the last thing that I was interested in. But I made a deal. And during the day, I would see geriatric patients, for those of you guys who are relatively new. I mean, everyone here is, is pretty savvy to the wellness space, but geriatrics is very specific. It is over the age of 65 and or individuals dealing with dementia. It is dementia, Alzheimer's, frailty, falls, sarcopenia, things that happen typically in an aging population. And 
during the mornings, very early mornings, and in the evenings, I was doing obesity medicine research, either running an obesity clinic or doing and being part of the research that was happening at WashU. And I absolutely fell in love with one of these participants. And my project for a fellow, a fellow gets to work on an individual project as well as whatever else is happening in the lab. And one of my projects or my main project was looking at the interface between body composition and brain function. I dove into the literature and it really was this idea of Alzheimer's as type 3 diabetes of the brain. And what we saw and is now very well established in the literature that obesity is a tremendous risk factor for later life development of Alzheimer's. The brain is an organ just like everything else. As you become more insulin resistant and metabolically dysfunctional, the same thing happens to the brain. And the wider the waistline, and I say this cautiously, but truly, the wider the waistline, the lower the brain volume. The wider the waistline, the lower the brain volume. But the thing was, I fell in love with one of the participants. And we've all had, and JJ, I know that you have had your fair share of clients that have changed the trajectory of the way in which you think. And this woman did that for me. She was a mom of three children in her mid-50s, did exactly what everyone told her, food guide pyramid, ate Mm. less, did more cardio, cycled through fad diet, did the yo-yo dieting thing, completely destroyed her metabolism, totally destroyed her muscle. So by the time she was in the study, you know, she had sarcopenic obesity. She Mm. didn't even have obesity. She had low muscle mass with obesity. And I imaged her brain and her brain looked like the beginning of an Alzheimer's brain. We were doing the Stroop test. We were doing all these testing and then we were doing fMRI studies. And I felt disgusted with us as a medical society, as a medical community, because she represented to me all the other patients that we were seeing. And she was just doing her best to follow this advice. I am a bit driven and focused. And when I see a problem, I really look for a solution. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I would go during the day and see the patients that had fallen, broken a hip, go during the day, see the patients with Alzheimer's, And all of my sickest patients had one thing in common. It wasn't this obesity epidemic. It wasn't this people were over fat. It wasn't all of the things that we were repetitively trying to treat, which was packaged in obesity. It was that they all had unhealthy skeletal muscle. And I had this moment where I knew that if we shifted the messaging and we actually targeted skeletal muscle as an organ system, because it is, the organ of longevity, then we would be able to create real change. And so I created and coined the term muscle-centric medicine. And over the years, this is a practice that I've built almost 10 years now of targeting skeletal muscle as the pinnacle. You know, that includes hormones and that includes nutrition and training and just understanding which medications negatively affect skeletal muscle. What is the impact of sleep? How that decreases muscle protein synthesis by 18% and what is the difference between men and women, et cetera. But at the end of the day, I developed a new framework for thinking about a problem and provided a solution. I'm sure if you're listening, you go, God, I'd love that framework and I'd love to be able to use that in my practice. And we're working on that, right? At some That's point. Actually, I just in- came from a meeting. I was like, I got to go. I got to call TJ. I'm out of here. I, I literally like a complete spaz left this meeting. Yes, I am building a training provider course 
good because it's like poke, poke, poke. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I was at SC a little earlier than that, but I was doing my PhD in nutrition, in exercise science, nutrition, and aging. And the gerontology there was all master athletes. It was the exact opposite. <laughs> it was like, oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. I was like, God, too bad those two couldn't have just like merged because you talk about like seeing the two different sides, these people yeah. who'd been, you know, athletic. And I remember at the time going, these are people in their 80s and 90s. I would kill to be in this shape. You will be. I mean, obviously, you look amazing for 25, but be there. <laughs> Thank you so much. Just wait till 30. I remember hearing Mark Hyman. I was telling him this the other day. I go, when I heard you say that people who are positive about aging live seven and a half years longer, I go, well, that's an easy one. Let's just do that. What if you just took this on like as the biggest challenge ever and like, look what I can do now. So yeah. that's how I'm doing it. And speaking of look what I can do now. So you had the niche, like you had a clear niche of this muscle-centric medicine, which yeah. I think is going to change the way we view aging, change the way we look at weight. I am so sick. Like, I want to be on a campaign to get the stupid scale out of the office. It just drives me nuts that still in 2023, yeah. now 2024, you walk in and they put you on a scale and don't tell you what your weight's made up of. But you had this clear stuff, yet you were in an office, yeah. you know, basically working to pay the rent. So what was your first shift? The first shift was, you know, you told me to raise my prices. And I think at the time I was probably charging, I was doing hourly. I think I was charging, maybe I went from $175 to $250 an hour. And then I went from $250 to whatever until ultimately I got up to $800 an hour. But that was the first change. And then after that, I went to a a package model. And you sat down with me. We were at the Marriott in, I think it was Times Square. And you said, you got to charge $5,000 for, I don't know if it was like five visits or six months or the transformation. And I was like, JJ, no one is going to come into the practice for $5,000. Like We might as well just shut the doors. Wow. Wow. Right. And I, it's so interesting when you look back and you think about the progression. And by the way, you can't make these huge jumps. You really do have to establish yourself. You really do have to do the work. Yes. However, you had done that and you had oh. proven yourself. Yeah. You'd done the internship. Yeah. You had the background, the training, the expertise and the experience to do yeah. this. And the biggest part of it is the money mindset that you have to push through because, you know, every time you raise your rate, you probably held your breath a little bit and went, are they going to tell me I'm crazy? <laughs> you know? But you don't go back, do you? Like the minute you charge five grand for a program, you would no. never go back to charging 250 an hour. And then ultimately, friends, you will get to a point where you were like, this is how much I charge. And if you don't want to pay it and I don't get another patient for the next year, fine. Haven't you noticed that, first of all, when you package into a program, which I call paying for results in advance, offering mm -hmm. a transformation, I mean, you're doing nutrition, you're doing all the lifestyle stuff along with the medical interventions. That's not one visit. No. Right? And no. so you need the time and the commitment to take them through it. And you need the commitment because you're not saying, hey, okay, you're going to come see me. We'll do labs and you'll take some prescription. I'll see you later and you can keep on with your bad lifestyle. You need a committed person, both financially and emotionally and with their time. And that happens when you put something into a package and we commit with our wallet. In fact, if it was the perfect situation, you would charge people just slightly more than they felt that they could afford because they'd really pay attention, right? Because the more you pay, the more you pay attention. 
And, and it so- is true, by the way. Mm-hmm. I do want to say that while we're talking about this, there may be people that will come in to your life where you're like, wow, this would be, I know I can help this person. This person is in really good standing in the world, very influential or whatever it is. And I really want to help them. You can identify and vet them and offer your time. Just be careful. But I do think that there is a place for that. So there is a place for it. I still find it's usually like you can do that. You can do some trades. So there's ways around these things. Be very wary of the family member or friend you really want to help. No, no, we're not talking about any that. No, That's no. not it. This we're is not, the, not, yeah. not, not, <laughs> not that. Okay, so now you've got the programs. Now you're continuing to push that boundary there. So what did you do next? After we, and by the way, during COVID, we were all set up for all virtual. We didn't have to pivot at some point. I downsized. By the way, there was a period of time where I had like $5,000 in my bank account. My relationship broke up. I had absolutely nothing. And it's a very uncomfortable feeling to be in. But again, it's just a moment. It's just a feeling. Yeah, it's, and just, it's just one of those blips. It's, you're not a one-hit wonder. And we all yeah. go through those things. That's right. I totally downsized. And so I downsized. I thought nobody was going to want to come to a clinic that wasn't super fancy and super posh, which mine originally was. I downsized to Broadway on Wall Street. I had one room. I worked out of a a co-op, like a WeWork. I got a nice room, but it was still a WeWork co-op. We set drapes up and that was it. I lowered my overhead cost. I then increased my rates. I think even then I was at $800 an hour or something. And then eventually when COVID hit, we moved right into package models. We were just like, you know, the one-off because we lost patients to follow-up because when patients have to pull out their wallet to pay for another visit, it seems to diminish the consistency if you don't have a system in place. But by saying, okay, you are going to pay upfront for a two-part deep dive. And then after that, we're going to roll you into a membership. Depending on your need, you can meet with a provider every 30 days, every 60 days or every 90 days, something like that. You tear it out because some yeah. patients are going to require a higher point of contact. They obviously will be then a higher price point. And then it becomes more of a subscription model. So that was the next phase was everything was how often are you going to need to be seen? Patients would also have access to a 24-hour portal. We highlighted that responses would be within 24 to 48 hours. Ultimately, we started just having to turn away patients because we couldn't keep up with the volume. Then I hired an additional provider and then two additional providers and then a salesperson and then a nutritionist and a operations. And then eventually you hire a COO and a CFO and that's that's but where you, I am. It's, it gave a very yeah. stepwise thing of how you but, did it. The important things is, you know, when you package the way that you packaged, you're not having to always sell the person. You're ensuring that they get what they need. And ultimately, they're coming to you for results and you're being clear on what it's going to take to get there. So that's actually the best way you can treat a patient. The mm-hmm. other way I feel is like being doing a disservice. Now, along the way, because along the way, you might have popped out a few kids in a New York Times bestseller. Two so, children. Yeah. And then I got remarried. Yeah. Along the way, two, two beautiful children, an amazing husband, a New York Times bestseller, a top podcast. 
killing it on IG. So how did you go about doing all that? Because again, when I met you, none of that, literally no, no cute new husband, kids, New York Times oh, podcast, IG, nothing. So wild to look at, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of work and it's still a lot of work. I'm still, it's just different now. You always different. think when I get to here, it'll be easy. Oh. No, I had a mentor go, no, it's just more zeros. I'm like, yeah. oh, well, it's different. It's interesting. There's this kind of workhorse momentum that happens and you're just like a work, you're just grinding every day. You're just grinding, 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 hustling. Then, you know, continue to build. If you are a provider, you build your practice, you vet someone. So you vet your assistant is going to be not like your personal assistant, but your who is going to help you be able to provide care for other people. And I will say it should be people familiar with what your mission is. I think that's really important because it's not just, you're not just like laying out cash because then the the relationship of the patient to the new provider is not going to be good. So you go to the packages and then once you can no longer see all those patients, you have to hire another individual. My suggestion would be the first hire be because you're growing, be a what we would call a mid-level provider. That's not meant to be derogatory. It's just what is called a mid-level provider would be a nurse practitioner or a PA to really help assist with that. And then when that becomes full, or you should also be then thinking about who is going to be your lead physician. Eventually, you'll get to the point where you're going to want to step out of practice depending on what you love doing. And that was what it was for me. So I hired a lead physician. You put them on salary because you have to be able to figure out a way where you are going to pay their salary, meet their salary, and still drive business. So then the next step is you hire a provider. All the while, I was growing my IG. So if you guys don't know who Teresa Di Pasquale is, she is one of my best friends. She stepped in and I was so lucky. Before I could afford anything, I remember when $400 was a lot of money for me. Here I was. My husband at the time was an active duty Navy SEAL, which by the way, they get the most elite training in the world. They don't get paid. I mean, they get paid peanuts. Okay. Here, my husband was active duty Navy SEAL. He was not home. I was living in New York City by myself. I didn't have really any money. I was just building my business. My best friend, Teresa Di Pasquale, she had just started her Capture Social IG, which many of you guys have used. She helped me create the IG and then over a period of time, all on the while, like it's not just one thing. You still have to do the work. I didn't say no to one podcast. When I started my career, I was hustling. I was seeing patients three days a week. The days that I wasn't, I was out there like, hey, dude, can I be on your podcast? Hey, can I be on your podcast? There could have been 50 listeners to the podcast and I was still hustling to do it. Nothing was too small for me to do. Well, important um, point there, a couple yeah. different points. You freed up some of your time with other providers, creating leverage so you could go work on your business. You mm -hmm. had a system. And the reason that you can free up your time and do that is because you have a system. You have muscle-centric medicine. You created a system for how you take a patient through the process to get to the transformation. That's super important. Then you started getting on podcasts. And one thing's because I hear it all the time. Oh, no, I'm going to wait and only get on the big ones. I go, same with TV. Do not go, I'm going to wait till I oh. get on this show. You don't want to That's way too entitled. start with the small ones. Plus, when you start with the small ones, 
podcasters know other podcasters. And they'll listen to you on another podcast to see how you do. So what you did was exactly perfect because you really got your training wheels off on the podcast. And here's the thing. You have to get your messaging tight so yeah. that when you know the big podcasts are coming, you're prepared. You'll sound like an idiot if you do not do a thousand. I mean, I don't know. This doesn't have to be a thousand. I did hundreds of podcasts. I saw what worked. I figured out how to explain. Right. I made it very simple. I knew who the audience was. I knew if I was talking to physicians versus am I talking to the lay public? It was never about me. It is always about the audience. And actually, when I started podcasting with you, JJ, I remember the first podcast I think that we did a handful of years ago, you were like, uh, what? So what you're saying is insulin is a hormone produced by the pancreas. And why do we need insulin? Totally simplify it. I, I didn't need to over-educate anybody. And you learn a lot. Yeah, you are really good at breaking things down so that both it's scientific, you know, it's, it's evidence-based, you've got the literature, but someone can understand it. Yep. And, you know, I hear that a lot on podcasts. I'm like, okay, I love what you're saying, but 95% of people have no clue what you just said. So come on, let's like simplify it down. Another one, Max Lugavere is great at that too. He'll take the thing and he'll go, okay. And I'm like, good one, Max. So you were being on all these other podcasts. When did you decide to start your own? I'd always wanted to. And I started about a year ago, a little over a year ago. Yeah, that was yeah, it. And you've done great. So you made a commitment on that podcast. And I think this is a really important thing with a podcast is people have to know with your podcast what they're coming for. Like I'll listen to people's podcasts and I did this. So I'm like calling myself out. You know, now I'm very clear. I used to do favors for people. I'm like, nope. You know, this is what I talk about. This is what we do here. That's it. And so I love what you talk about, like your intro to the podcast about conversations. What do you say at the beginning? It's, it's, it's all about transparent conversations. Yes. Let's talk about that. So my podcast is now a top tier podcast, usually ranks number four in medicine. And it's definitely top 50 in health and wellness. I think last month it was 33. It does pretty well, right? Here are the episodes that did terrible. Anytime I would invite my friend on because I wanted to do them a favor. Yep, me too. It didn't match with as much as I loved them. It didn't match with the individuals coming on my podcast, the people coming on my podcast. And by the way, I would love to talk about other things other than protein and weight loss. I would love it. Apparently, nobody else wants to hear that from me. They do not. They do not care that this is a world-class Navy SEAL. They do not care that this is X, Y, and Z. What they care about, how do I build muscle? How do I lose fat and yep. look better? That, that's pretty much it. So mm -hmm. I stick to higher level of education. They have to be an expert in their field. I also try to bring experts on that nobody has ever heard of because I'm very well connected in the academic space just because of my training and my experience. I bring on experts that people have never heard of that are doing super valuable research and I'll ask questions that potentially others wouldn't ask. Don't steer too far away from that. And I've been able to monetize the podcast in a very big way, which is cool. Now you're monetizing through ads or how are you monetizing? Yep. I monetize through ads. I use a company called Moonbeam Media. They're amazing. And it's one person and he's a business partner in the podcast. He, but you didn't start from the beginning. There are so many really important pearls here. 
it took me years to learn what you figured out very quickly was like, figure out what you talk about, talk about yep. Do not yeah. deviate. And, you know, as much as you love a friend, right. it's not going to help them either because no one's going to listen. <laughs> you know, listen, terrible. We also have, you know, they have to apply, go through my team, and then the episode is rated by the team to decide if it's going out too. So we double rate. Like if it's not absolutely five star now, we do not put it out there. We wait. But again, when you want to listen to someone talk about muscle centric medicine and all of a sudden they're, you know, that's why you're coming. So yep. do that. And then did you start monetizing from the start or did you did. build it up first? I did. No. And this was a little bit of a unicorn story. So I built my brand before I launched a podcast. So immediately I was fully monetized for the year, which is So you unusual. built your brand on IG before you? Is, is I that built my brand on everything, on other podcasts, on oh, okay, IG. You know, I had built my, I was also on Twitter, which I don't have a huge, huge following. But the biggest thing that I did was go on podcasts. Yeah. That's, I went on podcasts. And did I, you just call people to get on their yeah, podcast? Heck yeah. yeah. Okay. So hear that? Pick up the phone. Yeah. You Are know, you kidding? I would hear this. Reach out, man. Or the other thing that I would do is I would see who had done a podcast that I wanted to do and see if a friend of mine was on there and reach out like, hey, could you introduce me to so-and-so? But I never waited for anybody to come to me. Zero, zero times out of zero, including my book launch, including still, I never wait for someone to come to me. That is not my MO. It's not how I'm wired. I think that if you want something, you have to go after it. If you want to build something, you have to be a builder. It's not about being a taker and waiting for the heavens to open and then an angel to fall from the sky to throw sparkling fairy dust. No one's ever putting sparkling fairy dust on me. Come on over yeah. to my house. My daughter will do that for you for free. I will come yeah, over and let free. Ariel do that. Or it's Aries, right? Aries. Yep, Aries. So you had the podcast. You had IG really cranking. Thank you, Teresa. After what she did for herself, I'm like, you should do this. Yeah. And then, so where did the book come in? This is a good story. I was on a podcast. And again, I went and I searched out podcasts and I did all kinds of talks. I never got paid for speaking. I would travel. I would lucky if people would pay for me to come speak. But lucky if they, you know, paid for my travel and hotel. I had done so many podcasts that this book agent, heard my stuff and was like, this is really tight and this is really good. Have you ever thought about doing a book? I'm like, yeah, actually I have. And they said, we should do that. That was a, a call that I got. We should do that. I'm like, okay. And I put together this proposal. It was, took a really long time. I couldn't believe how painful it was. But all the while I had built relationships. If you know me, I am a very relationship oriented person. This is not something I think that you either are this way or you are not, but it is something that I certainly attribute my success to now. Aside from doing 17 years of schooling and blah, 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 I have always been relationship oriented. So I put together this proposal and then I put together all of the people that might be willing to support me. And I put together this book proposal that took easily a year to write. I mean, it took months to write this thing. And... I submitted it. We finally got it done. And I'm thinking, oh, man, no one's going to bid for this. This is not going to happen. We got five offers from, you know, Simon & Schuster, Hatchet, you know, all these whatever, like larger publishing houses. Mm -hmm. 
We went into auction and then, you know, I got multiple six-figure book deal. Pretty great book deal for a first-time author who you don't even know if they're going to be able to put out and did really well. The book did really, really well. So here's the thing I I want to emphasize. The book is a fantastic book. I got to read it before, before, before. And the book did really well and you worked your ass off to get there. And that's what I think, like, I'll, I'll never forget. I had someone ping me two weeks before their book was being published. They said, hey, can we get on the phone? I want to learn how to do a New York Times bestseller. And I'm like, when's your book coming out? Thinking they were going to say, oh, a year from now. Two weeks. I'm like laughing at them. I'm like, how do you do a New York Times bestseller? First of all, you have the credibility, the credentials, the experience, the expertise. You write a really, really, really good book. And then you build a really solid platform. And then you line up a really smart, strategic book launch over months and months and months. Let's talk about the key players in this. First of all, I did the hard work. Talking about years and years of hard work, none of that was easy. It was very uncomfortable and there was no shortcuts. So there is no shortcuts to being an expert. If you want to know something and learn something, you need to do it, right? Period, end of story. Then you go out, you hustle, you have an idea, you do hundreds and hundreds of podcasts and you don't say no to things. You give away some of your time. The reality is, you don't have cash, you've got time. You give away some of your time so that people can see how you are. You get your foot into the door and you do it. And yeah, it sucks. And you aren't owed anything. People think, I'm not doing that for free and I'm too good for that. And this podcast has 25 listeners. Good. Bring it on. I know. I'm, We've done the talk for three people. You just, yeah. you do I'm what there. you have to do. <laughs> so you hustle and you're not too good for anything and you put in the hard work and you treat people really well. So treat people well as well. Then you expand your practice all the while. Thank God for Teresa. You know, I didn't have a ton of money to build a platform, but I always had a message. I always had a message. And it was consistent. That was consistent. I never conformed. You know, what you see is what you get. I mean, I'm not different online. I mean, I'm much funnier in person, but I'm not different. I'm not saying one thing and doing another. You know, I do train. I do all these things. The message, the imaging, the branding, the branding is ultimately you. You are your brand. You put this together. The more in alignment and authentic you can be, the better, because then it's true. And then there is a transparency between the two. I built my platform before I launched a book and before I launched a podcast. I built. I was a builder, builder, builder. I then wrote a book, launched a podcast, did a TED Talk, all the while on the back end building a newsletter list. YouTube was slow to grow, but I still did YouTube. So when you nurtured your email list, you had really great... Great newsletter that comes out, well-researched. So you did that too. I bring that up because I see people, you know, they have a list they don't take care of and that's your big asset. And people are always looking for shortcuts. My copy is not AI, right? We have an in-house team where we review literature and we write these studies. You know, everyone was so excited about this new paper that came out about how you can have a hundred grams of protein and everyone is like repeating and regurgitating, vomiting the same thing over and over again. Don and I sat down and we reviewed it and it's not what people think. And so we put a a YouTube discussing the paper and the nuances of the paper. And that is very valuable. And yeah. If you have a skill set, use that skill set because 
it really helps open the eyes for, you know, it's giving, it's a very giving of information. Then the podcast, again, was so dialed in that I was able to monetize before the launch of the podcast. I was fully monetized. I had companies that purchased contracts for a year. I didn't even have one episode out. They purchased it for two reasons. Number one, that I was credible and they knew that I could put out, right? They knew that I would show up to do the work and do a good job. And then the second thing was they trusted in the quality of the work, right? To be fully caught, to be fully bought in for a year is very unusual. Yeah. I've never heard of it before for something brand new. Never. You know, that's right. That speaks volumes. But I haven't seen you put one thing out that was inconsistent to who you are or crappy. No, because I, I won't publish it. Yeah, won't it's publish fantastic. It. That should be everyone's like, you Don't know. publish it. And I have had to, I'm like, wow, that's terrible. Time to do a solo cast. <laughs> and those are really <laughs> difficult, right? Those are totally difficult. They're challenging. At least they're, they're really challenging for me. We're working on doing more of that. So then fully monetize that. Now that the podcast has grown a substantial amount, we'll probably begin to release a second episode in which we'll be able to monetize that second episode. And we're going to change up some of the format. And that's going to be interesting. Change up some of the format. The book, now the success of the book was a handful of things. The success of the book was, the book was very well written. And a lot of people hire a ghostwriter. And if you do, that's totally fine. But if you are willing to suffer and do the hard work, the book will be a unicorn. I wrote the book myself, hired a journalist to help me take everything that I had written. I wrote it, took me two years to then make it that it was readable, right? So that it wasn't so science having I mean, the first mm -hmm. book, the first rendition of the book, the journalist was like, I don't even know what this is. What is this? So she helped edit it, make it better. And then I have someone who is part of the practice and, and her name is Dr. Alexis Cowan. She's a, a PhD from Princeton who's now doing her postdoc, helped look at the science, make sure that it was being explained in a way so we didn't miss things. I mean, there's always things that mm -hmm. you're going to miss, but having an additional eye on that is really important. But I think that the big takeaway was I wrote the book. And if you want a unicorn of a book, have it be your idea, write the book because nobody is going to be able to do a better job than you. Then maybe after you get a couple books, maybe you won't write it. I don't know. But I'll, I'll give a hack for if you are an absolute not a great writer. It's so funny. My undergraduate degree ended up being English and I hate writing, but I love speaking it. So the way I write my book is I outline it and then I and bullet point the whole thing. Then I speak it. Then I hand it to the writer who can then polish it so that if you are like going you can still write it yourself because I view that someone actually said she didn't write. It. I go, I did write it. I just spoke it. I spoke it and handed it to write. Yes. But I, you make it a very important point. Like this is your baby you're putting out into the world and it's going to live there. And it has to be like, you're always going to get things after the fact. New science comes out, et cetera. But yeah. at the moment, like that. Yeah, it doesn't have to be perfect. The research correctly. You've got to, you know, you just. JJ, represent. It depends on your standards. And if you have certain standards, then that's... Have high standards is what we're also standards. saying. Have high standards, man. Okay, so you've got the badass book. 
the book is amazing. And then I also had an amazing agent. Obviously, she's just a total pit bull. If you guys are interested and you need someone, I have an amazing agent who I really connected with. Everybody said, oh, go use this person. But trust like your connection with a, a person. It has to be someone who you vibe with because they get you. Then after that, I obviously came up with a marketing plan. And my plan was to do a bazillion podcasts and to just do everything and anything that I possibly could. I also hired somebody named Rory Vaden. My book launch would not have been as successful as it was without having appropriate fulfillment, period, end yep. of story. Now, I will say my book was, this was a little bit of a unicorn experience because I did not do a ton of bulk sales. The majority of the sales were individual purchases, which JJ, I, I think that the book exceeded all of our expectations of how many people purchased it. It outsold Arnold Schwarzenegger. It outsold Atomic Habits the first week out. Yeah, which is Atomic Habits is huge. And you also ran out of books on Amazon. And what people don't understand is that is such a massive thing because if the book, even if someone buys the book, yeah. if they can't ship it, it doesn't count. But so. I did hit the book. I, so the first week out, I hit every list. So I got Publishers Weekly, New York Times, they placed me at number three, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, Amazon. So I was the number one bestseller in Amazon. Are there any other book lists? I, I don't know. But luckily, I hit all of them. But I was able to have a great fulfillment. So Rory really helped. Tell him I sent you. I'm happy to make the introduction. I can't recommend that enough. I did have a book launch strategy on IG. We kind of pivoted a little bit because we didn't want to lose engagement. I also created a community. And my community, by the time the book launch was over, I created a free community. Again, I did a lot of work. And was this on Facebook? Where was the community? It was a, on a Mighty Networks, a free Mighty Networks. By the time we were done, we have 7,000 people in this community. You have to understand, I started from like zero. And that's a hugely valuable community now. And now oh. you ask me what is next. We are moving everything over to a paid community. So we've created now our own app. We're going to be moving over to a paid community. We're probably going to do a two-tiered price point. It's going to be a lower-tiered price point. I don't know. I haven't totally decided. Is it going to be $47? Is it going to be $97? And everything. You may like, want to it. talk to Jen, and I can ask Jen. So Jen Stevens did exactly this with Fasties Repeat, where she had half a million people on Facebook in her group. And then Crazy. she had a smaller one of people who bought the book. Then she moved them to a paid community. She actually tested it. I'll ask her and tell you. You know, that is a great strategy there that you've done. I mean, listen, if we even got 20 or 30% of those 7,000 people, that would be amazing. And then we have some other things coming. So if you think, if I think about what's next. So the next step is this community. So I'm having my first ever Forever Strong Summit. By the time this comes out, it's going to have been passed. But I didn't necessarily overthink it. <laughs> that's an understatement. <laughs> but we have no, that too. You're an action taker. We have just a bunch of my friends just want to support me. They're coming. We've got Cody Sanchez coming. We have Jason Redman, who's a former SEAL. We have Evie Pomporis, who's a Secret Service agent. She's on four president details. She's this beautiful little blonde. We have, who else? Kristen Holmes, Don Saladino, just like all of these people, just amazing people, Bedros Koulian. And then this event is going to be two days. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. Do I have a back-end sales? Is there like a whole big thing? No. 
I think that there is a possibility, you know, Ben Newman, all of these people that are on stage have or are patients. I think that there's a real possibility that we will have people convert into the practice. But that would be wonderful. If that doesn't happen, I'm okay with it. We've been able to at least break even for the event. I'm not losing money on it. So what? It'd be super fun. But the next rendition is the community and then ultimately certifying coaches as well as physicians. Good. The physician piece is certainly, or providers, it doesn't have to be physicians. It's anyone with, you know, somewhat of an advanced degree. We're going to do coaches and then the providers. And then I'm submitting a, I'm looking at a two book deal now for the next book and growing the podcast. Excellent. Yes. Awesome. I love it. Yes. Easy enough to do a back end at that summit with a little irresistible offer for the two-part blueprint that you have when they go into the practice. So. Oh, you're fine. Throw that out there. Okay. Um, I don't, when she told me about the summit, I'm like, what's the back end? Everybody. <laughs> I know. I don't What's really the back end? Back end. Sorry. I but just, I, I, I kind of do it that way because at the end of the day, I want people to have a, a great time and it'd be cool. And, you know, the practitioner and coach training program makes so much sense for anyone listening who has a very specific program that you take people through that's got a system, especially has created something like, you know, now you have muscle-centric medicine, so it lends itself to an institute, a training program. Yep. It just makes sense. And then for people listening who are like, okay, this sounds great. This is something that I would love to be able to bring into my practice. Because, you know, creating these things, this has been your life's work. Everything that you've done is taking you to this point, and it's fantastic. And it's, you know, <clears throat> some people have found that thing that they've been creating their, their whole time. Some people would love to have the thing that they can just bring into their practice that's proven, makes sense, you know, that you've put together. So I'm so glad you're doing that. that I think I, you've been telling me to do that for... Stick my stiletto in your butt. Yeah, I think <laughs> you've been telling me to do that. I mean, Teresa's yeah. been telling me to do this forever. I'm, I'm pretty sure you've been telling me to do this for a really long time. You know, but the one thing that I don't have where everyone's like, oh, I can't believe you don't have that is I don't have product. I'm okay with that because right now I want to focus on digital product. Eventually, maybe I'll have product. But right now, it's a digital product. And I appreciate being an advisor to a lot of companies. Yeah. It makes it easy for you to monetize your podcast with companies with yep. product by not having product. You know, at some point, it's something that you can visit, but there's no shortage of product out there. It's one that you could easily, easily do at some point, maybe an exciting shake and creatine product. And you're smart to, I mean, you're working, you're a wife, you're a mom, you're a practitioner, you're, you know, a podcaster, yeah. got a lot of things there. And now you're about to do two more books. And eventually, you know, product is great. I know that everyone is, is loving. It's not, we'll, we'll talk about it if you want to do it. It's not as hard as people think it is to do. Yeah. I always say start with if there are things that you are absolutely using every single day, and especially if you can make a different version of them, it makes total sense to do. I remember when I wrote The Virgin Diet, the interesting thing when I wrote it, I kept going, this book didn't say you need to be off these things forever. This book said these might be things that aren't working for you right now. You need to heal your gut, right? <laughs> Take them out, pull them out and see. There wasn't a shake I could put people on at the time. Everything had the foods that could be creating food intolerances. And so I had to make the shake. And so when we made the shake, you had to start the day with the virgin diet shake. I mean, so we sold tens of millions of dollars of shakes because you need the shake to do the program. Now everyone's doing these things. So it's, it's a yeah, little bit and to different. be fair, people will know this about you is you really were an early innovator in this space. It's pretty cool. 
you're an early innovator in your space too. So there you go. Takes one to know one, Missy. (laughs) And if anyone is looking for extra children, I have two. (laughs) Some days you can totally borrow them. Some days I actually want them. (laughs) A true story. I don't know if you remember this, but I think you got me a book that says go to sleep or something. Uh And I was like, okay. I no, I know. And then and you have like, I have a two and a half and a, a four and a half year old. And I'm like, oh. Oh, that. Wow. Mine didn't sleep for the first four years because mine were one year apart. It was like four years of not sleeping through the night. I don't even know. And I was in graduate school getting up at like 5 a.m. to I was like, how was I doing all of this stuff, you know, and building yeah. business? But you just do it. You'll look back. It's like, it's just. You just do it. You yeah. just do it. You know. So. Thank you for taking time with all the stuff going on to share all this. But what I really wanted, it's such a great story and such a great journey. And what I love the most about the journey is that you've been working your butt off. Yeah. You know, and that's the important lesson. I feel like so often in what we do, people look at the outcome and they go, oh, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to write a best-selling book. I'm like, here's, let's walk it back to what it takes to do that. And so thank you for walking it back today to, to just showcase and even though like we've only known each other i think you know six seven years now and this it's been a meteoric rise it was because of the research and development the internship the work that you did prior to that that was just so deep thoughtful strategic has set you up for everything that you are to do because you know you are just at the beginning of this massive rocket ship thank you so much and let's talk about the hard work that the kind of ethic that it takes. And you'd message me and you'd be like, okay, we're here right now at this moment is when people drop off. And I'm like, girl, we got this, you know, just cranking out and, you know, whatever it is that you tell yourself about stress, et cetera, all that stuff. It's all, it's just noise. It's all narrative. It's not necessarily true. You're super capable. Yeah. You got to put in your, your reps, just like the gym. You got to, yeah. you got to put in <laughs> reps. work. Everyone is looking for some easy way to do this quick thing and you know you make mistakes and you build character and you know you become a certain type of person and you just continue to execute we will put in the show notes of course the link to the book and your podcast your podcast is awesome i have a very short list of podcasts i listen to yours is of course one of them that i absolutely love i mean it's all sides all people that nobody would ever think of right oh they're just they're just so great it's super fan it's a great time for nerds <laughs> hey listen I, I tried to have i tried to have rudy reyes on which by the way that podcast is great but you know i've got these world-class military operatives you know and nope they like the scientists but you they, take scientists and get them to explain things in everyday speak and that's what's fantastic too which is rare to get out there so it's fantastic so we'll put all of that in the show notes so everyone can have access to that and, and including hopefully you have a early interest list right now for your coaches and practitioners. I you hope. can just respond so. to one of the emails. You can email me directly at glion at drgabriellelion.com. Make sure we get all that because yep. definitely make sure you've got your interest list forming here yep. because uh, yep. this is a great opportunity for people. Cool. Thank you, honey. I appreciate you so much. You're welcome. Here at the Mindshare Collaborative, we are committed to helping you increase your vision, income, and impact. 
One of the first things we'd love to support you on is adding a high-profit leveraged income stream so that you can enjoy more time and money freedom. And to help you get started, I've created the Health Professionals Playbook for building multiple streams of income that identifies five proven strategies for creating a sustainable income beyond your primary practice to create time and money freedom. To get your free copy as my gift to you, go to ms365.io forward slash MSI. That's ms365.io forward slash MSI.